0: Can you open your Bibles with me, please, to Acts chapter 20? the first verse of that hymn that we just sang uh, one of the lines says in his presence daily live right? Have you ever connected in your mind just daily living with worship, right? We're called, having been redeemed by his grace, we're now all blessed with gifts in the Holy Spirit and we're, used to, and we're called to use those in service in the church. That's all true. And because of that, we sometimes, though, tend to look at Serving God is something that happens in the context of either this building or this organization that we call Fellowship Bible Church here. That's not wrong, but it's it's wrong to limit it to that. Right? It's interesting that the hymn writer, when they were writing and thinking about the lyrics to I Surrender All, in the very first verse, made mention of just daily living in the presence of God. How is your life? Have you you surrendered to God the occasional Sunday morning? Have you surrendered to God every Sunday morning? Have you surrendered to God your life, your daily life? Which will manifest itself in gatherings on Sunday mornings and church events and church services, things like that. All that's important, it's important fruit, but that's the real question to get at. In Acts chapter twenty, we're reading the words of the Apostle Paul in a sermon that he addresses to the elders of the Ephesian church and last week we just got into like basically one word of it the whole idea that paul pre- paul started the message out as by presenting to them that he had set an example for them but now now he gets into some of the details some of the ways that he set an example for them and when you read through it and you listen to his words and you see what's there coming out of his mouth You realize what God had done in him. What God had done in him was took a man who was a violent enemy of his, redeemed him, converted him, right? Called him, and had so radically transformed and changed him that now all Paul could do as he walked and thought and spoke and interacted. Everything was just given over as service to the Lord. Everything about him. It was Paul who wrote the words, you're not your own, right? When he wrote to the Corinthian church, you're not, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. He got that. He got that seems like this hymn writer who wrote this hymn got that too, at least in the person's mind, got that. Have you gotten that? That as Christians, we're not... Sometimes I feel like the Christian message gets reduced down to something very small, to something very trite, and to something very carnal. It gets reduced down to I want to go to heaven, not hell. I mean, I, I, mean you know, I believe it. I believe there's heaven. I believe there's hell. And I believe in God. And I believe in Jesus. Maybe you grew up learning that or you've seen some television shows or you heard some things or whatever. I don't, I don't want to go to hell. And so Christianity gets reduced down to, well, here's what God did. And maybe you're asked to just pray this prayer or respond in some way and, And then you respond and you get a sense or a feeling now that that's all taken care of and you're going to heaven. But then nothing else happens in your life. I think that churches right now on Sunday mornings are almost literally filled to capacity with such people. And I'm... And we're confronted by it every single week. Every time you open the Word. You're confronted by what a child of God is. And what it looks like and how it's experienced. And we're able then to just shut the book and go, you don't know how many times I have conversations with a a brother or a sister, someone I really know is a brother or sister in the Lord and They'll talk about like a family member or someone else and they'll talk about, like, you know, and I'll be like, boy, we need to pray for them that they're saved. And they'll say, oh, they are saved. It's like, they are. Yeah. Well, how do you know that? Well, they went to church when they were young or they, 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 they had some, pray, prayed the prayer or they had some kind of experience. Mm-hmm. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where there's any room for anything less than I surrender all. Certainly not in the passage I'm reading to you this morning that we're reading about now. Do you understand this? I think the average American churchgoer, and churchgoers come in all degrees of commitment and participation as well too, right? But I think the average American churchgoer needs to really take a serious, sober, honest look at how the Word of God describes someone who lives as a Christian. Not that you can look at it and save yourself by getting in line with it. That's not the point. We're only saved by His grace. But the question is this. If you have been saved by His grace, why isn't there the obedience and the commitment and the service and the zeal in your life that's described in the Word of God? Is the failing with God? Is the failing in the system? Is the word too extreme? Is the word not for everyone, but only limited to certain ones? Are you really saved? Are you really Devoted and committed to the Savior who saved you, the way that you ought to be, if you are. The thing I was talking to a couple of guys last night, brothers, about this. One, of the, I'm going to read it in a minute, and we'll pray in a minute. But one of the things that really strikes me about this passage of Scripture if you noticed when we read it last week, or if you've read it before, is that Paul knows when he's going to Jerusalem that bad stuff is going to happen to him. He makes reference to the fact that I don't really know what's going to happen when I get there. I want to get there by Pentecost. I, I don't really know what's going to happen when I get there. But I know, because everywhere I go, people tell me, don't, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. Paul. Jerusalem's going to be rough. You know, you're going to end up in chains. You might end up killed. Just, just people telling him oh, I go there. if I go there, bad stuff's going to happen. And Paul, I just picture Paul like, mm-hmm. I know. I know. You know, he, he's not, in other words, the news that if you go there, bad stuff is. He doesn't respond by saying, You don't know that. Only God knows that. You don't know that anything bad's going to happen. He doesn't, no, he's like, mm, Yeah, yeah, you're right. I know that. And he doesn't respond by saying, You know what? You're the fifth, you're the tenth, you're the 20th person to say that to me. Maybe I need to pray about whether or not I really should go there. Nope. Nothing. He's just like, he's actually hurrying and speeding to go there. That's why he's preaching this sermon to them. He dared not go to Ephesus to preach to them, because if he went there, he knew he'd get bogged down. Right? Paul's back! Awesome! Let's rearrange the whole schedule that Paul's preaching until midnight i heard he preaches till midnight sometimes just don't sit near the window right but 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 look 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 let's rearrange the whole schedule so we can get paul to teach as much as he possibly you know he dared not go. so he stops in miletus and he calls for the elders of the church to come to him so he can have a quick word and a quick prayer with them so he can keep going to jerusalem where he knows bad stuff is going to happen which it does by the way he doesn't end up killed but he ends up getting left for a couple of years in a prison that ends up getting sent on a ship to Rome to be in prison there, shipwrecked along the way, etc., so forth. It's the rest of the book of Acts. But it's this mindset that he has. It's this mindset that he has. And I know you look and you say, okay, Paul, Superman, right? The Superman of Christians, you know? Not even any kryptonite to slow him down. But he's not. When he writes to Christians, he's trying to write to them and say to them this is what the Christian life is. Look at me. Look at how look at how it's happened. This is how you're supposed to live. This is what we are now. This is what we are in Christ. And so he write he preaches this sermon that I'm reading to you, and in this sermon, he starts off by saying, "You know what manner of life I lived?" And now we're going to read through some of the details. And he's talking to a group of elders from the Ephesian church because he's trying to get them to look at his example that they would live like that, so that they would live like that in front of the people in the church, so that the people in the church would live like that. In his presence daily live. Surrender all. Our Father in heaven, as we read your holy word, I pray for an awakening among your redeemed. And if anyone's listening and they're not redeemed, I pray for an awakening there as well that they would come in repentance to you and believe and be saved. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, with all of those things said, if you look at verse 13, it kind of begins the, the, the itinerary that brought him to Miletus. When you look at verse 17... That's when he sends to the elders of the church. And then right in the middle of verse 18 is when the message to the elders of the Ephesian church starts. Now, as you know, last week's message was entirely based on the first statement. You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. And so we talked about how Paul sets right in front of them... First thing, you remember how I lived when I was there. And so we talked about just in general the importance of being a good example. Jesus was an example to us. We need to walk as he walked. He was actually giving us an example. When the, the scripture actually says that when Jesus was on the cross, Peter writes, I mean, it's it's a holy thing, you know, because... When Jesus died on the cross, there's a tremendous sanctity and holiness to that. God's justice against sin is being properly satisfied. The only way that it could be. With a spotless, perfect sacrifice. That sacrifice being his own son. So there's a certain amount of trepidation in which I say this, but the Bible says it, so I do. Peter says that when Jesus endured all that, as he was being mocked he just stayed silent and he didn't shoot back you know he could zap them right <laughs> yeah. he kept his mouth completely closed and peter wrote in one of his epistles that christ was setting an example for you and for me that's your example not just i am who i am no Christ is who he is, and that's your example. Do you follow me? We make so many lame excuses for our carnality and our wickedness and our sin. Christ is our example. And then Christ was Paul's example. And Paul elsewhere says, look at me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then he tells these elders... That's what you need to be in front of this congregation, a pattern set by our lives. I mean, Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, to live as an example among the flock. And then the Christians themselves were to live as examples among one another, and they were to live as examples very much in the sight of the world. We have no persuasive power to convert the world. We're called to preach and God does bring people to salvation through that. But he desires that we let our light shine in the eyes of the world. And if the response of the world is to mock us and to hate us and to even persecute us and arrest us and try to silence us and kill us, we still walk the way that God calls us to walk in humility And in love, and with all praise and glory and honor, no haughtiness. All praise and glory and honor going to the Lord. But we are called to be an example of what? We're an example of the powerful work of the kingdom that is happening. God works invisibly in his church, in our hearts, in our minds, and then the visible manifestation of it is the lives that the Christians live. So Jesus sets an example. Paul sets sets an example. The elders set an example. Every believer sets an example. There's your review from last week. Now, it goes on. He says what? You know from the first day that I came to Asia, this is verse 18, in what manner I always lived among you. And here it is. What's the first thing? Serving the Lord. Serving the Lord with all humility with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. If I I I will be satisfied if we get through that much of this today, you, I hope I hope you can tell this isn't just like a preacher trying to make more of it than it is. I hope you can read that passage of scripture and realize, wow, he really said a lot in that sentence, because he sure did. Yeah. So we'll try to we'll try to cover it all here now. So the first thing that he talks about when he talks about the example that he set when he was among them was what that he served. God. He says he served him with all humility. I'll come to the humility in a minute, but let's just, talk, let's just talk for a minute about serving God. First of all, the first thing I want to observe is that when you read through the New Testament, you read about serving God and you read about serving one another. And I just want to say that to some extent those are interchangeable, Right? You certainly can't do one to the exclusion of the other. You understand that, right? If you're attempting to serve other people, but somehow leave the glory of God out of that by seeking your own praise, seeking a name for yourself, seeking to curry some favor with other people, that's not service to the Lord. That's actually a form of pride. Even though your works are good and benefit other people, It's not done unto the Lord. Right? Same thing. If you say you're serving God, right, but you ignore the needs, the spiritual condition, the well-being of your brothers and sisters and others around you, that's not serving the Lord either. Because the Lord has not called us to neglect the mindset and the spirit and the condition of people around us. We are to be witnesses and light and ambassadors to them. Yeah. We're called to love, and love always puts others first. So when we speak of service, understand we speak of serving God and we speak of serving others, and they are intertwined concepts. right? Peter, Paul, sorry, Paul, here in verse 19 refers to serving the Lord. But you remember what Paul wrote to Galatians. I referenced it already at one point here. He speaks of not using the liberty that you have as an opportunity for your flesh, but rather to serve one another in love. When you're serving one another in love, you are serving God. you understand that? So these are concepts that very much overlap one another. When we talk about serving God, let's make sure we know that the ways in which God is served and the practical outworking of it are multiplied. They are, they are They are. too numerous to mention. What did Jesus say about serving the Lord? Well, I'm going to read one of his teachings about it in a minute, but I want to point to this first. You know what one of the most famous things Jesus said about serving the Lord was? He said, he said everyone who gives even a cup of cold water in my name will by no means lose their reward. I want you to think of what a high privilege it is having been redeemed by God. Listen, God could have simply redeemed us and then just left us here to struggle and fight and grind through life with an existence that isn't really a new creation and just looks like the rest of the world around us and we just battle and we struggle and then when our miserable lives come to a miserable end, then suddenly we go to be with him and we get new bodies and we get all the gifts and we get all the promises and we get all the goodness, right? That's not the plan, though, is it? Right? No. God, having redeemed us, is now fashioning the whole group, the whole body of believers in his name into one, into one body that they might glorify him in service. In service. We serve the Lord by simply gathering like this. And, you know... I'm going to go and gather with the church when it gathers because if I don't, they might miss me. I'm going to go and I'm going to gather with the church because I might get the opportunity to say something to someone in fellowship who's hurting that needs to hear it. I'm going to go and gather with the saints because I want to add my voice to the chorus who is singing Holy and Anointed One or I Surrender All. I want to go there because I want in some way, even just my presence, even just for the preacher or the other brothers and sisters to look out and see that I am among a mighty throng of people who have gathered to worship God. My presence can contribute to that and help that. Amen. My life and my days and my Sundays or whatever are not about me. They're about God and they're about other people around me. So you can serve the Lord like that. You can serve the Lord within that context by giving, by serving, by being part of things, by praying, by fellowshipping with other people. You can serve the Lord by reaching out among the lost. You can give away, simply, you can give away gospel literature. You can invite people to come to church. You can point people to our own Preachings online or other places where they can live and, 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 and listen to and hear the word of God. That you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. One of the things we long for is for people to hear God's word as it's preached. Because there's no other way that God saves people. He doesn't save people by causing meteorites to fall on their head or anything crazy like that. There is a way. The way that God saves people is by having His gospel preached to them. And when they humble themselves and repent and believe, they are saved. And it is our mission to spread that word. You serve God by doing that. You serve God by reading and meditating on His word. You know why? Because there's no other path to fruitfulness. We've been talking about this lately, time and again you when you when you are reading and studying God's word you are greatly blessed and you greatly benefit and you derive the benefits of the spiritual growth and the closeness to God, the blessing of the intimacy with God that comes from reading His Word. But God is served in it too, because even as you are growing and you are learning and you are, are coming to just be able to love the Lord in spirit and in truth and worship in spirit and in truth, you are also, perhaps imperceptibly from day to day, but as long periods of time go by, if you're consistent with it, what happens is you're becoming someone whose mind becomes filled with God's Word you begin to think and see and talk and prioritize and choose and plan and ask entirely different around your relationship with God and you begin to live and to serve and to produce fruit that glorifies Him. When you take the time to read and to study and to meditate and memorize memorize and, and commit to being obedient to God's Word, you're serving Him. You serve God when you pray, right? It says of Anna the prophetess, who, who was like married for a few years and then was like a widow for like 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 eight decades or something like that, early in the gospel account of Jesus. She's in the temple every day just serving God with fasting and prayer. Right? Just 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 her just taking her life and fully devoting it to God. Whatever you want, Lord, here I am. Right? And she ends up getting to prophesy to others about Jesus when he's born. After decades of faithfulness. As Jesus said, you can serve God with just a cup of cold water in His name. Paul wrote, when he wrote Romans, Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. You want to serve God? Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. That's not spoken just to say amen to, that's spoken so that the true believer who was a new creation in Christ says, that is my charge. Amen. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It goes on, fervent in hope, patient in tribulation, Continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Write that reference down. Romans chapter 12, 10 through 13. It takes you less than 30 seconds to read it. Meditate on that. You want to be a servant of God? Go down that list that Paul wrote there and realize these are ways in my life that my life can be used to serve the Lord and pray. Pray. When it comes to serving God, let's give the, let's give the ultimate word on this to Jesus, of course. Turn to Mark chapter 10. I want you to see this in your own Bible. You have your Bible, right? Shake your head yes, I'm sure you do. Mark chapter 10. Turn there, Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. I warned you last week that this, this message that Paul gives... Is going to be, we're going to be camped here for a while, okay? Just prepare for that. There's lots of things to say, you know? It's not because I'm, I'm slow or tedious or, or anything like that. It's because there's lots of things to say. I mean, I explained it last week, right? He's going away and he knows he's never going to see them again, so this is his one chance to lay it all out. And so we do well to give some time to that, Right? So, Mark 10.35, I said, right? Mm -hmm. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, to Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What a selfish question that is. No, no he didn't. No, he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Don't you love how the Lord just like there's sometimes you think he's going to say one thing, but then he says something else because he has some he has some master teaching that no man would ever think of in his mind. I know that's true because 2000 years later, we're still trying to learn from it. They said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that strikes us pretty much all the same way, right? But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Have you ever stopped to think about what Jesus is saying there? I mean, really think about it in application. I mean, who are James and John? They're disciples. At this point, they're not like they're not like baptized in the spirit and launched off in their apostolic ministry yet. They're disciples. Like you and I are disciples. And they know they've found the Messiah. They know they've found the way to everlasting life. Now, ready for this? Everyone look at me. They've found the way to everlasting life. And they have leapt in their minds all the way from, from finding the Messiah and becoming saved, like we would say it. Well, they've leapt all the way from there, all the way over to, what am I going to be when I'm with you in heaven? Right? They, what have they left out? Everything in between. Once you have Jesus, you don't. there's nothing else you need to do in order to be with them. So in that sense, they're right. Isn't that great? Isn't that good news? Once you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior by faith, by believing the gospel, it is done. You are here and you are going here. Hallelujah? That is the gift of God. But then what about all this in the middle? What about your life? Well, Jesus challenged their apparent neglect of all that by asking them what? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? What's he referring to? He's referring to the suffering that he was about to go through, the suffering in his walking and his teaching and his ministry among the people, ultimately leading to the cross. That's what he's talking about. And in verse 39, they say, we're able. And Jesus being Jesus, being so far more awesome than me or you or anybody else, he doesn't get all snarky with him and say, can you really? No. He tells him, what? You will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give but it is for those for whom it is prepared. Well, first of all, I won't go too far into this today, but that says something about the sovereignty of God, doesn't it? So like, while there were still lives to be played out, the Lord already in his mind knows who that's prepared for. It wasn't his to give to begin with. But what is Jesus saying there? I want you to get this because here... Here is one of the problems, the biggest problems with the American church, which I am part of. So it's a problem for me too. Okay? They got saved. They're thinking about what they get out of it or what they might get out of it. And they're not thinking about anything in between. In the question, there's no apparent thought of Lord, do you want me to? Here comes a really scary word. Ready? Do anything. Not do anything to earn their salvation. That's all in Christ. But as I live my life, Lord, well, Lord, I have a wife. I have kids. I want my kids to experience things. We want to do things. We want to enjoy our lives. I'm so glad that I'm saved because now I can just enjoy my life and I know I'm going to heaven when it's done. There's the American gospel. There it is in a nutshell. I've heard of Jesus. Yep. Listen, I've got this set up in my life. I've got this set up in my life. I've got this set out for my best advantage. I've got this for myself. Now I'm going to take Jesus and add that to my life portfolio so I can live my life for myself and I'm all set to go to heaven to be with him when I'm done. In fact, Lord, I want to sit right next to you. What about the service? What about the service? You think, you think I'm reading into that? Verse 41, ready? When the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John, but Jesus called them to himself and he gave them this great teaching. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. In the world, when somebody gets power, whether it's the president, or other layers of government, or just even interpersonally, in the different arenas of life that pop up in business, in culture, when people get power, it tends to go to their head and they wield that power over one another, right? People think of themselves greatly. People have these high views of themselves where they feel like the blessings and promises of God's grace are somehow deserved by them. If we got what we deserved, we would all die and go to hell. Do you understand that? The wages of sin is death. That settles the entire issue. If you, get what you, if you, if you want what's coming to you, I suggest that you change your thinking. Because if you long for what's coming to you by what you've earned, You will go to hell because the wages of sin is death. But we tend to think that we deserve everything. We tend to not realize that when it comes to the kingdom of God, there is a path to be trodden, there is a pilgrim's walk to be walked there is the life of a, there is the there is the service of an ambassador which needs to be seen out Amen. so he says in verse 43 it shall not be so among you but whoever desires to become great among you what shall be your servant see they came to him and they asked him for greatness mm-hmm. they are here they, as we would put it, they just got saved. They're new disciples, right? They're new. They're, they're still identified with their earthly father, right? James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Like we're not, It's not even like Brother James, Brother John. Zebedee's sons. They're still identified with their earthly father in the description. That's how early they are in it. And they come and they want greatness. They go right from getting saved to wanting greatness. And what Jesus says is, you know, that's the way the world thinks. You see it among the Gentiles. You see that when any Gentile gets any shred of power, still true in the world today, someone gets a little money, someone gets a little power. Someone gets a little influence. Someone gets a little position. Someone gets themselves in a situation where others are under them and dependent on them. And it goes to their heads. And they feel like in their pride they are deserving of every great and grandiose and delusional thing that could possibly come along with it. Jesus says, it will not be that way among you. If you're going to be in my kingdom, here's what you need to know. Ready, Christian? Are you ready, fellow Christian? He who desires to be great among you shall be your servant, and whoever desires to be first shall be what? Slave of all. There is something that people in the modern world and people in the modern church don't want to hear. They want this, and they want this but they don't want any of this but Jesus says if if you don't go down this road how do you even know this and this are real hmm fascinating the road to greatness with the lord the fact that there even is such a thing as a road to like greatness with the Lord is all His grace. Amen. But that road to greatness, listen to me carefully, fellow Christian, that road to greatness is not a life of earthly glory and earthly ease. Getting whatever you want. We're taught almost from our cradles that you deserve the best. We're taught that somehow we're entitled to problem-free lives. We're so corrupted by the rudiments of this world that when anything in our lives goes wrong, we think it must be because God has forgotten us. We put aside the words of our master who said, in the world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer because I'll take all the trouble away. Nope, not what he says. Be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So you're in a world full of trouble, and even though it's full of trouble, it's already been conquered by one. And the one who has conquered it is the one who is your Lord and your Savior if you have faith in him. And you will experience trouble as he experienced trouble. But be of good cheer. Be happy in the midst of the trouble. Because the world's been overcome by him. It's radical, isn't it? It's not, it's not what we want. It's, it's not our best life now. It's not, it's, not, it's not any of that. It's a different road altogether. That's why the Bible says about the road that leads to life that it's narrow and only a few find it. Nobody really wants to be on that. And nobody's really taught that that's the road. That I mean, we're taught, yep, the road's narrow, but you know what we're taught the narrow road is? Pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart and you'll be saved. We're told that's the narrow road. That's not a road at all. That's not even a road. That's a moment in time. A road is something you traverse over a long distance and a long period of time. The proof of the authenticity of the faith of the believer of the Lord Jesus Christ is that they even through the trials and the troubles and even through their own failures and through their own sins, they would not for one second trade their position on that trouble-filled, rocky, narrow road for a moment of comfort on the broad road that leads to destruction. That's the mark of the believer. And that's why Jesus says to John and to James, the sons of Zebedee, Can you be baptized with my baptism? Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? They're like, We can. And he's like, Yep, you will. And they did. And if you're in Christ, so will you. Amen. Right. We're called to serve. Jesus says, it shall not be so among you but whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. Whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to serve. Here's the example. But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there you have again from Jesus' own words what? He died on the cross and made the sacrifice that was necessary to redeem us from our sins, but his manner... I mean, I mean why the three years leading up to it? Why the 33 years on the earth? Why, why the record of these last three years? It's an example for his disciples to follow. Do you see it? And now he can say, even Jesus came and said, I didn't come to be served. And he wasn't when he was on the earth, did he? I mean, Jesus was outcast very often. He was alone very often. Even his own disciples abandoned him. But he didn't come for that. He didn't come at that moment to make people like him. Jesus didn't come at that moment to have the most profitable carpeting biz, uh, business, carpeting, carpentry business in Galilee and make a bunch of money. He came to serve yes. and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then he told his disciples, you want to sit here one day in the kingdom? Can you drink my cup? Can you be baptized with my baptism? We're called to. And you know what? When they listen to this, this should, this should encourage you. When they said to Jesus, we can. Jesus didn't correct them. He said, you will. And may I say to you, who are of humble and believing spirit, in our Lord Jesus, so can you. So will you, if you stay humble before. He is able to sustain you. He is able to sustain you through trouble as you serve him. He is able to provide for you as you serve him. He is able to encourage you and build you up as you serve him. He is able to see that you persevere as you serve him. He is able to forgive your faults and your sins along the way as you serve him. He is perfectly able to never lose you, never leave you, never forsake you. He is able to keep you in his hand. He is able to make sure that nothing that Satan does, even though he walks around like a roaring lion seeking who may devour, if you will be vigilant and watch and pray, he is able to keep you in the midst of it all. You will fall, but you will get up. And you will make it. You will persevere. Because it's by his grace The question is this What is your attitude towards your relationship with God? What is your attitude towards your Christianity? Is your Christianity like an eternity insurance policy? You buy it once, it gets automatically renewed from year to year, and then when you die, you just go to heaven. Having never borne a single scrap of fruit in your life. Is that what Christianity is to you? Is Christianity something that you'll participate in it when you have time? Do you set a good example for the people around you with that? Do you let your light shine? before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven? Do you endure hardships to the point that people actually ask, how are you able to do that? And then you're ready to give them an answer. You miss witnessing opportunities. You struggle with wicked thoughts. You have a hard time prioritizing your time. You battle with sin like we all do, but you confess your sins and you get up and you get back at it. Guess what? if you view your Christianity the right way, you'll understand what Paul is saying to these people. We're called to serve. We're called to serve the Lord. And if you will walk closely with him, if you will humble yourself and devote yourself to his word, and devote yourself to prayer and devote yourself to fellowship, not maybe God will raise you up, You won't notice it. If you make that such commitment today, you won't notice it tomorrow. But if you're faithful, you'll notice it a year from now. You'll notice it five years from now. You'll notice that the Lord has taken you from what you were and made you something beautiful, something entirely different. You'll still battle and you'll still struggle, but you'll bear fruit. You'll have assurance of your own salvation and you'll have courage to be able to share it with others because you'll know, you'll know, you'll know that it's the truth and you cannot but share it with other people. Amen. Amen. What's your attitude towards your Christianity? Paul says, You like that? I got through like one more phrase in the sermon today. That's how it's going to be for a while. Please keep coming to church. Please, please don't stop coming and say, well, you know what, I don't need to go for a couple months because he's still going to be in that passage. You're probably right, but, 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 don't, but, but don't stop coming because there's so many things to say. In what manner I lived among you? Serving the Lord. There you go, we covered three words today. So, that's it. Please, please don't sink into some wasted existence that if you're not careful, might not even actually be Christian. And you're just deceived. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, bow to Him every day. Confess your sins. Repent. Believe. Worship. Read. Study. Meditate. Memorize. Desire to obey. Assemble. Gather. Fellowship. Love. Give. Give. Serve, kindly, affectionate, brotherly love, preferring one another, diligence, fervency of spirit, rejoicing in hope, patient in trouble, steadfast in prayer, giving to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Serve the Lord. That. That's what this is. Here, there's here, but there's this. That's what this is. Serve the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I said, I said more than I intended to do today, and so I ended up not saying as much as I intended to do today. It doesn't make much sense, but that's the leading of your spirit, I think. and I pray Lord God, you would help us to receive these things and you know lord your word says that the scriptures are profitable for rebuke and correction and instruction in righteousness and i pray lord god that you would help us knowing that you are completely patient with us help us lord god to respond in humility and faith as we should to your word thank you for your love for us thank you that you would even desire that your children bear fruit which glorifies you It's not even possible. But you're the vine and we're the branches. And when we abide in you and your word abides in us, we will produce much fruit. That's amazing. We don't rejoice in anything we do. We rejoice that our names are written down in heaven. And we thank you for that grace and that assurance. Help us to walk the walk. Live the life. In your presence daily live.